Hey, this is Memorial Weekend, special time. We've got to have some vets here. We have any vets here, veterans that served our country? It's not Veterans Day, but we want to recognize you again. If you are a veteran, stand up. Let us know uh, who you are. Let's thank these guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you. We thank you. Let's pray. And uh, pray for those who have, uh, and those families who have lost loved ones as we get ready uh, to look into God's word. Let's pray. Our great God, what a joy to come into your presence to worship, to thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And Lord, uh, today as we gather, we, we are so thankful that we have to live in this country. So many criticize it, but we thank you for it. And Lord, as imperfect as it is, we pray that you would honor these vets, but also, Lord, be with those families that have lost loved ones in the service of, really, of us. And we thank you for them. And we pray that, Lord, you would, you would encourage even those that are wounded now and recovering, be with them. And as we think of their sacrifices, we think of your sacrifice, Jesus, for us. And no sacrifice is greater than that. And so we pray today as we look into your word that you would draw us to yourself. We're, we're not perfect people. We're broken people who need a savior. We need your grace every day of our life. And so we pray that you'd open our minds to your truth. We pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth that we could see you today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we continue a series that we started just last week. Pastor Chuck Berry started a new series for us. You've got that on the front of your, of your outline, of your bulletin. It's called R&R. And usually when we think of R&R, we think of rest and relaxation, which many people are doing today at the beach right now. Orangewood people are doing at the beach today. The spiritual ones, of course, are here in this room right now. Uh, but R&R stands for that, but that's not the focus of this series. The focus of this series uh, that Pastor Chuck uh, started last week is this whole idea of uh, what do we do now? He brought us back with a, a great introduction to, to bring us back to what happens after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did the Christians say? And he talked about repent and... Anybody remember? I mean, it was seven days ago. Repent and remain. And he brought us back to one of the sermons, uh, actually the first sermon in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, where the apostle Peter hits the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, every sermon in the book of Acts, and there's a lot of them, all of them go back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason for that is because the resurrection is the beginning point and the starting point and the, the continuing point of Christianity. Because the resurrection is true, Christianity is true. And if the resurrection isn't true, Christianity isn't true, but it is. And so Pastor Chuck brought us back to that, that text in Acts chapter 2 where Peter is preaching uh, after the day of Pentecost and, and I love this text. I'm going to read part of it. It's not our main text for today. Uh, so I'm not going to unpack all of this to you. But, but I, I want you to see what happens when he gets to the end uh, of this sermon. He preaches on the resurrection. And then it says this. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter 
and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut. You could hear a hush fall over the place where Peter had been preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, it was a very straightforward, in-your-face kind of sermon where Peter says, you guys put him on the cross. And so after they, what shall we do? Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children. And, and remember, Pastor Chuck went on and on. And he was telling us, as, as he went on about this text, telling us that the people were supposed to escape this current generation. It's a crooked world. It's a bad world. It's a bad world, isn't it? It's a bad world. And so he says, repent. But then he says to them, remain. I love this. Look at verse 42. He reminded us, they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's remaining. And so Pastor Chuck brought us back to this whole idea that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who were listening to the sermon said, what should we do? And, and, he, and, he, and he led us to repentance. And then he says, we've got to remain in Christ. Repent and remain. When the gospel of Christ makes a difference to you, that's exactly what you want to do. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of your heart, when you take the message that God is holy and we're sinners and that Jesus has provided everything necessary to get right with God, the very thing we want to do is repent. And then we want to remain. We want to stay close to him. And so Pastor Chuck set us up for this series, R&R, and today I'm going to start with remain and move to remain and resolve. And I want us to look at another text in the New Testament that helps us move from this point of repentance and remaining to what do we do now? Well, we remain in Christ when we resolve Three things. And that's what we're going to look at in this text. Second Timothy, uh, I want to look at today. We're going to remain and resolve as we, as we look at this question, what shall we do now? Repent and remain. Three points I want to look at. Three areas. I'm going to read this text. Some of you thought this is two sermons. It's not. It just feels that way. Here we go. Second Timothy 2, verses 1 through 13. These are the verses I want to unpack for us. And listen, as I read this text, see if you can find those three areas that the Apostle Paul says that if we resolve to remain in these areas, we will be people of influence who understand how the resurrection has changed everything and given us a whole new way of living our life. Here it is, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, Paul says to Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains, as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and also that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we remain faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. What a powerful text. And what I want us to do is to look at these, these three things. The first one that Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that if we as believers of Jesus Christ want to remain steadfast, following him, become people of influence, and really move through the challenges of living in a broken world, uh, we've got to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this is a powerful, powerful text. I love this. Because grace is one of those words. How many times do we say grace on the average Sunday around here? Five, 10, 15, 20, I don't know, 100 times. But grace is one of those important biblical concepts. And, and grace is 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 an energizing word of truth. It it is the power of the gospel. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is that he's to be energized by grace uh, to come to Christ and then after he comes to Christ. So let's talk about it a little bit because grace might be one of those words. You You might be new to this church. You might not be a Christian yet. Somebody drug you here. Uh... Memorial Day, come to church with me and I'll take you to lunch. Good, I'm glad, we're glad you're here. But you may not be familiar with this concept of grace. So let me explain it just a little bit. Grace is the Greek word charis, which carries a, an important idea. It, it carries the idea that what God is about doing is loving us, even though we're undeserving of his love. Grace is, is, is that word that, that, that says that God has given us his favor because Christ paid a price for us. Grace, grace is a, the, the idea that we're getting God's positive favor even when we deserve his negative judgment, right? That's great. Grace is getting what you don't deserve even when you know you deserve the opposite uh, of what you're getting. That's grace. And grace is a powerful concept that's important for salvation. Let me see if I have this text of scripture up here for you. No, I didn't put that up there. So I'm going to back up. But the starting point of grace is when Jesus says these words, this is powerful. I love this. John seven on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, and so Jesus is looking at all these people as he speaks, and they don't deserve anything. They're, some of them are really bad. By the way, I'd love to hear all of your testimonies about how you came to know Christ. We're not going to pass the mic today, though some Sunday. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? And we would hear stories. Some of you would, would tell how if you were honest, how bad you really were. And the rest of us would be taking notes. It would be so cool. And some of you would say, well, you know, I really wasn't all that bad. 
But every one of us has sinned, right? And everyone has to sin more than once, and, and, and way more than once. And the reality is, is that we could never, never in a million years offset our sins by doing good things uh, to offset those sins. This is, I could never do that much. I can't count that high, number one. And I don't have the ability to be good enough long enough to deal with my sin. And so grace is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He gives us his favor through faith. Jesus, it's expensive though, isn't it? Grace is expensive. Jesus paid the, the price so that we could be radically, forever, powerfully forgiven. And so that's what grace is. And grace is necessary for salvation. Absolutely. But it's also necessary for after salvation. And that's where we tend not to think that much about this, how important grace is. So when Paul says to, to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace, catch this. The verb is let God strengthen you. It's in the passive form. You need to be strengthened, but you need God to strengthen you. Grace is the energizing power of the gospel that we need every day of our life. Every day of our life. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, you're a pastor. Being a pastor of a church is really difficult. You, look at what it did to me. Listen, it's difficult. You need God's grace every day, Timothy. You need to remember he's not angry at you. You need to remember that he loves you. You need to remember, Timothy, that you won't have all the answers, that you'll mess up. As a leader in the church, you're going to make bad decisions, but God, God will forgive you. You need grace every day. And when trials come, when difficulties come, you, you need to depend upon grace. Now, Timothy, Paul's sort of saying, he said, now listen, you can try to live without grace, grace for salvation only, but try to do the rest of your life by yourself. But that ain't going to work, Timothy, because if you try to add good works to yourself, you're going to fail. You can't be good enough long enough. And after you come to faith in Christ, Timothy, you need to depend upon his favor every day. Or you'll be mean and nasty. <clears throat> you'll compare yourself to other people and say, I'm better than her. I'm better than him. Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus over and over and over again. I, I'm going to be honest with you. If it were not for the grace of God every day of my life, I would not be able to make it. I depend in the big things and in the little things. <clears throat> Let me tell you what happened Thursday night. So I'm driving home Thursday night from Life Work Leadership Awards Banquet. A friend of mine got an award. So I'm driving up from the uh, other side of town. I get off right here. Come by Orangewood. I'm driving over the Maitland Overpass and going back up to where I live in Winter Springs. And as I pass Orangewood and go over the overpass and come down, I don't think it's a result of passing by Orangewood. But what happened was that my, my truck transmission slipped in. My drive went out. And starts going, whining. I, I, I've never had that happen to me. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I wasn't moving forward. And, and so everybody's blinking their lights at me. And I'm feeling kind of, okay, what's going on? Put it in second gear. Oh, that works. I get home. Call my mechanic the next day. He goes, bring that sucker in. Transmission, dude. Transmission. So I have to get a rental. Monday, I take it in. I have to get a rental car. Take it in. And Transmission. What, what goes into your mind, men, when you hear the word transmission? Dollar signs. That's what you, that's what you see. 
So I have to have a rental car. Da, 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 da. All week I'm driving this rental car. My friends say, hey, where's your truck? I go, well, this week I had to think of a positive spin to put on this thing. So I'm putting some guy's daughter through college this week. <laughs> and, and so I, and I, and I had it all week, that rental car. And so Friday afternoon, 4.30, I pull in, get my wallet out, walk in there. Um, and I notice that there's a young lady behind the counter. And she's totaling up my bill. And I'm getting my credit card ready to hand it over. And she says, hey, dad, is this the right figure? And I look, I look at her and I say, hey, um, this is your father, the owner of the shop? I said, you're not by any chance in college, are you? <laughs> she said, actually, I'm finishing my master's at UCF. I said, you, I said I'm a prophet. You can't, I've been, I said, I've been telling people all week that I've been putting some guy's daughter through college. And he turns to me and he says, you have, man. I was, you have, man. Yeah. All right, that, that's a great story. It is funny. But the reality is, is Monday when I took that car in, I was ticked. And I've been following Jesus for a lot of years. I was not happy because my life was, I didn't have to drive a car I didn't want to drive. I like driving my own truck. I didn't want to have the inconvenience of taking a car in and paying extra for a rental car and doing all this other stuff. I want to control my life. Don't you? And then somebody close to me said, you got to pray about this because you're not acting like you've been following Jesus for a long time. Said, you're right. And then I had a talk with the father and he said, son, <laughs> you know I've been gracious to you. Depend on me. I said, all right. So we had a come to Jesus talk. I need God's grace before I come to Christ and after I come to Christ every day of my life. Don't you? But sometimes we don't think that. We get to a certain point in our spiritual lives and we're not living like great people, like we've received grace. But I need grace. I get grace. And, and, and I need to live that way over and over and over. And today we're going to ordain three new elders here at Orangewood. And I want to say we're ordaining men who understand grace. We're ordaining men that understand how to give grace. And, and, and so to you men that we're going to ordain and all the other elders and deacons that are already in leadership here, I want to say we need leaders who understand grace and give it to us. Our staff understand grace. Uh, we need that grace uh, over and over and over again. People, let me tell you one of the big challenges about being an elder and a pastor in the church is that people do expect us to be gracious, but we also have to deal with sin, don't we? Hear me on this. This is one of the toughest things. Elders, elders have to do what Jesus did with me when we had our little talk this week. He has to love me. He has to forgive me. But he's also got to point out where I'm a sinner and I need to repent. Elders have to do that all the time. And in a church, we have got to trust our elders and understand that as we, as we follow them that sometimes they've got to do something very difficult. They can't just sweep sin under the carpet. You know what I'm talking about? They got to deal with it. And then forgive. And then walk people through repentance. And that's a challenge. We need gracious elders. We have gracious elders. And what a privilege it is for us to ordain three new ones today. But we need to understand how difficult it is to lead in a church where we're trying to be gracious. But we will remain firm as God's people when we resolve that all of us, 
continue to grow strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus every day, even for little things like, big things like when transmissions go out. That's not a little thing. And you have far bigger challenges that you're going through. I know. We need grace. So we, we move on. Uh, and, and Paul says, all right, let me, give you another, let me give you another point here that we remain strong in Christ when we resolve to build leaders. Look at this. Uh, in, in verse 2, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I love this text. It's so important. You know what I was always looking for as a senior pastor, as I was always looking at, and what I do now in the ministry I'm doing uh, with Forge, I'm always looking for fat men. You've heard that expression. Fat men. Faithful, available, and teachable. I'm always looking for, churches have to always be looking for people who are willing to grow as leaders in the body of Christ. Faithful, available, te- uh, and teachable. When I was a, a, a young youth pastor, I'll never forget. I had a student in my ministry who was a, kind of a wild guy. We were we related to each other really well. He was a wild guy. His dad was a pillar, a leader uh, in the in the denomination, but he wasn't an elder in the church. So one time I talked to his dad. I said, "Why aren't you an elder in this church?" And he said, "Well, I'm doing all these things outside the church and all these denominational activities." The pastor Mike said to me, hey, you can become an elder here when you quit all those other things so you can be here and involved in this church. And I learned something. That leadership in a local church has to have those in elders positions, deacon positions who are willing to be here, to be involved. Uh, And so leadership is absolutely crucial. That's how we remain strong as a congregation, how we move ahead. And Paul had to build Timothy. Now, Paul was a strong, natural leader. Paul was a strong, natural leader. Timothy was a weak, unnatural leader. And that's why when you read uh, Timothy and Ty, uh, the Timothy letters, Paul is always trying to build him up and strengthen him up because he wasn't naturally a leader. And Paul, it takes a leader to build a leader. <laughs> General George Patton of World War II was quoted as saying, lead me, follow me, or how does that end? Does anybody remember? Get out of the way. Lead me, follow me, or get out of, get out of the way. Now, that's not really nice. I know, he wasn't really a nice guy, um, but he was a leader, and the church needs lead. I, you know what I struggle with these days? I struggle in this whole area of talking about leadership, that there's a whole lot of people who want a leader in the church to be strong, and a whole lot of people that just want us to be real nice. And I struggle because I'm not real nice. And, and, and I don't know what, I, sometimes I don't know what to be. And I think young leaders don't know what to be. And so they, they go with their temperament. If they're strong, they're strong. If they're Timothys, they're just kind of okay. And Paul says, I got to build a leader. Because the Great Commission cannot, I'm going to say some things that might bug you here, but there it is. The Great Commission cannot go forward without leadership. 
Leaders are people who, um, uh, who want the forward progress of the church, who want to mobilize other people for the forward progress of the church. They don't want to mobilize people just to take care of themselves. They, 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 want, to, they want to chart the course. They care about people, yes, but, but they got to move ahead and they want to move ahead. Men, that means men, we've got to start learning and growing in our homes. This is where we learn to be leaders and we start there. Because if we can't lead in the home, we can't lead in the church. And that's why that requirement is there. We need to be trained to be spiritual leaders. But women, we need you as leaders too. A woman could do, catch this, any, any role in the church that a non-ordained man could do. And the major discipleship model is found in Titus chapter 2. The women, older women disciple the younger women. The older men disciple the men, right? We need leaders. We need all of us stepping up into these roles because they're so crucial. Today, we're going to ordain some men as elders. This is God's way. Um, we need men who are willing to, to make tough decisions to lead the flock into the greener pastures. Leaders do make difficult decisions. And, uh, um, and, and men, you are under shepherds of Jesus Christ. Uh, so what that means sometimes is that we as the flock need to let leaders lead because they will give an account to the Lord of the universe. Let me tell you one thing that I've found as a pastor over too many years to admit. Every one of us has preferences. Everyone in this room has an idea about how worship ought to be done, how pastors ought to dress, and what, right, don't we? Doesn't everybody have? Some of you are real, a little ticked off. I've got Levi's on today. And some of you wish I had a tie. Although none of you have ties on. I don't see any ties. <laughs> We've got all kinds of ideas and preferences, right? And sometimes we as the flock have to say, okay, I'm going to give up my preferences so that the elders and deacons can lead us where... We need to be, not necessarily where I want us to be. That's how we remain when we trust godly leaders. And so men who are going to be stepping up for us as leaders today, as I say to the elders, uh, sort of by way of charge, continue to train leaders. May that be something that, that becomes true. You go to Orangewood, you're going to get developed. Young people. We need you to aspire to leadership young. We need you to, to think, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm only in high school, but one day I want to be a leader in the church. I want to I let Jesus develop me in such a way that I can be a resource for others and influence others. A giver. Not a taker, a giver. And so... So Paul goes into all of this. I get it that not everybody's a leader. Isn't that a good thing? We need some chiefs. We need some Indians. Uh, but not everybody's a leader. But wow, how important it is for us to understand uh, that we need these kinds of leaders. So Paul says, you want to remain? You want to stand strong? Well, here it is. Uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and build leaders. And then lastly, this is your, my favorite one. You are going to love this. Absolutely love this. Here it is. 
suffer redemptively. How many of you woke up this morning and said, today's a great day to suffer. I hope I can suffer today. Yeah, I, me either. Uh, share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is calling us to recapture something that the church has lost, but only can explain why the church of Jesus Christ is here in America at this place today, and that is suffering. So, so what are the three things that help us remain when we resolve, first of all, to be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, uh, to, to develop leaders, and then to suffer. Yeah, suffer redemptively. In other words, we're saying here, what Paul is saying is that when we suffer for the gospel, when we sacrifice for Jesus Christ and for others, good things happen. The kingdom moves ahead. The early church said something like this, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more the early church was persecuted, the more they suffered, the more people would look at them and said, I want to be a Christian. Now that's counterintuitive to me, isn't it to you? But it's how God works. Because when we suffer for that which is important, and there's nothing more important than the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses that in the witness advance of the church. When we whine and want and demand, churches dwindle. When we sacrifice and we serve and we suffer, the gospel grows. And the logic is incredible. Paul says in verses four through seven, he says, uh, here's the logic. He says, well, first of all, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his, his, his aim is to please the soldiers know that. Uh, hurry up and wait. Fight over here, and, and, and then if you get injured, try to get help, you know? Uh, but the bottom line is soldiers suffer. And then he says, athletes suffer too. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. One time a friend after church came up to me and said, Pete, I, I know you jog. I, I don't like to jog. I hate jogging. In fact, every jogger I ever looked at is frowning and grimacing. They're not happy people. Um, and, and so I went out one day to try and jog smiling. I probably looked like an absolute idiot. I was literally jogging out there. And you know, you cannot keep that up for very long. It's a, it's a physical impossibility. You cannot jog. It, it's a gr- but athletes are willing to suffer. I still feel better when I'm done, even though I hurt. Why? Because there's something redemptive that comes from, from suffering. Uh, hardworking farmers should get the best of the crop. Why? Because they worked from before sunup to after sundown. Um, suffering, through suffering, a lot of good things come. Um, and then he says, well, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, Uh, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul is saying here, Jesus suffered for us. Did good things come out of the sufferings of Christ? Everybody says, of course. What about Paul? He says, I am chained up like a criminal. How demeaning. But the gospel's still going out. Good things come from suffering. 
And uh, then he says, it's a trustworthy statement. I'm almost done. It's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure in suffering, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. The one thing that we can't do and have eternal life is deny Jesus Christ. But if we're faithful, after we accept him, if we mess up, um, if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This is the creed of the sufferer who understands that good things really do come out of suffering. How do we remain? We we remain strong when we suffer and the church remains when we suffer and sacrifice for Jesus. And I tell you, it's difficult for me. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just, I'm like the average 21st century American, American Christian. I'm soft and getting softer. I, I, I want to control my world. I want government to work for me. I want you to get out of my way on the road. So please, today, if you see me, pull over. <laughs> I can't believe how incredibly, how I struggle with self. I've been following Jesus for a long time. I want Pete's world to succeed. But, but I need Jesus. And you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. I told this to my guys this week about after the, the deal on Thursday night, Luther Whitlock spoke, former president of Reformed Theological Seminary, and he told the story, I think it was of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was preaching one time and, and preached an incredible sermon that uh, was just absolutely, absolutely stunning and amazing. It was so good. He was taking notes on himself. He loved it. It was great. And as he was walking out, uh, of, of the church that day, he said to his wife, honey, how many, how many uh, great preachers do you think there really are? She said, one less than you think. <laughs> uh, we have such a high opinion of ourselves. But in the gospel, uh, elders, elders, we love you. We need you. I'm looking forward to this time right now, and I'm done. But here's my charge. Teach us about grace. Teach us to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Teach us, teach us, well, these things. Teach us uh, what we do now. Build us as leaders. Build us. And then teach us to suffer. I need that. We need that. Let's all take it to heart. And let me pray before Joe comes up here. Father, we thank you that you love us so much more than we could ever imagine. And with all of our neediness, Lord, help us to remain steadfast in you. May you continue to do great things in our life, building us into the great people that you want us to be for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pete. Pete has set us up for what we want to do now, and that is that we're privileged to install and ordain 
three new ruling elders. A couple of weeks ago, Mark preached beautifully on the roles and functions of the elder and deacon in the Presbyterian Church in America. These men must be followers of the Lord Jesus, demonstrating a godly character as laid out in scripture. They must be nominated by you and then trained and then elected by you, um, the members of Orangewood, and that has happened already. Today, in accordance with our book of church order, um, they are being installed and ordained to the office of ruling elder. Let me invite Jim Miller and Dave Shaw and Alan Williams to come forward, and I'll have them stand over here. Okay, there we go. Okay, great. We're thrilled to have you guys up here. You've um, been trained, you've been called, nominated, elected, and we're thrilled to have you at this um, point in the life of our church. I think that you are here for such a time as this. Um, Let me propose these questions um, to you and... The office of elder, as you know, is one in which you are called to be shepherds. You're to pray for and teach and lead members of this church as we seek to be disciples advancing Christ's kingdom. Um, As you lead, you will also be nurturing transformation in our membership through worship and community and service. All of this, of course, as you do it with the grace that Pete has talked about this morning. Jim and Dave and Alan... Um, God has raised you up, and I ask you these following questions now. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to us as the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Do you? Do you approve of the form of government and the discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you? Do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you? Then finally, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church of the Lord Jesus, do you? Let me now ask you, the members of this church, one question also. Do you, the members of the church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders, and do you promise to give them all the honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which this office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles them? If you do, please raise by your right hand. Thank you so much. I'm going to invite all the elders and deacons of the Presbyterian Church in America, whether it's this church or another church, to come forward at this time as we ask these men to kneel, and we will lay hands upon you, and ruling elder Scott Huber will be praying for you.
Okay, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, Father, in this day when we're installing these men as elders, as shepherds in your church, we stop to first acknowledge and confess that really we have only one true good shepherd, and that's you. And each one of us, Lord, is fed and cared for by you. And each one of us, therefore, is also called to care and to feed other people in our families, in our neighborhood, in our churches. So, Lord, we, we stop to just acknowledge that, that none of us that, that stand up here is capable of fulfilling this office without your grace coming to us first. And Lord, I take a minute just to thank you as well for the people that you've called in a special way to be our pastors and our shepherds. Of course, I think of Pete. My hand is on his shoulder here. And we're thankful for the words that he delivers to us and how he has stepped into our community to shepherd us. And we're thankful for Joe. And we're thankful for Chuck. And we're thankful for Doug. And how you have called them in a special way to pastor and shepherd us. And their wives, Lord, for Karen and for Rita and for Amy and for Gay. Help these men to remain strong in you to follow you, to get fed by you, to in turn defeat us. Lord, we do thank you for these three new men who you have called to this office. And we ask you, first of all, that you would hold them close. And that you would feed them, that they would seek you as you model to us how you sought the Father. May they come to you and seek you. They need to be in your word. They need to be fed by you. They'll have nothing to give if they don't do this. And so I know their desires are, so help them, Lord, as you need to help all of us to come to you humbly, to seek you as the source of what we have to give and help them to be a caring shepherd in their family. Our shepherding role starts there with their wives, Lord. May Jim give that to his wife, Elizabeth, and Alan to Shannon, and Dave to Bonnie. And may these men shine in their own families. For your word says that we can't purport to lead the church if we haven't led our families well. Give them grace. Lord, give them power to fulfill this office. And I pray that we would give them the honor that that you ask us to give, the deference. So we look to you, Lord, for the future. Help to grow this church. This is your church. There are many, many people within a five-mile radius of this church, Lord. And I know that you want the word to go to them. Bring those people to us. Help us to go to those people. And it's in your name, Lord, that we ask these things and look forward expectantly. Amen.
Let me say, as you're being greeted there, that I now pronounce and declare that Jim Miller, Dave Shaw, and Alan Williams have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as ruling elders in this church, agreeable to the Word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.